in Exodus, God gave his people instructions on how to establish a holy priesthood, a priesthood which would be an image, a shadow of an even greater one to come. Today on Rooted Daily, we look at that priesthood of the Old Testament and how it pointed forward to the priests of today. Welcome to Rooted Daily, the podcast where we're rooting ourselves in the Bible so we can grow with God a little more every day. I'm Brandon Levy, and each year in the tabernacle, the high priest would approach the Ark of Testimony looking for mercy and atonement at the mercy seat. And each year, year after year, the same sacrifices would need to be made by a priesthood set apart by God from among his nation to do the work of the tabernacle and later the temple. So in Exodus, as God is explaining the logistics and the blueprint for how he wanted his people to worship him, he not only needed to describe this holy tent, this tabernacle, he needed to give them instructions on how to establish a holy priesthood too, a priesthood which would be an image, a shadow of an even greater one to come. And we find all those instructions here in Exodus 28 through 31, a list of rules and regulations for the priest of the Old Covenant. So what stands out about God's design for the priesthood? How does it point forward to the priesthood of the New Covenant? And the first thing we see in Exodus 28, uh, the first 43 verses, are about the priesthood is that they're special. Not just anyone can be a priest. God declares in Exodus 28.1 that it will be the sons of Aaron that will serve him as priests. And notice God was the one who chose them. They didn't appoint themselves to this position. They didn't volunteer, but they seem to willingly accept the task God has given them to do. God has different tasks for different people. And whatever task he gives to us, like the sons of Aaron, we should do it faithfully. Exodus 28 then says that holy clothing would be made for Aaron as high priest to give him dignity and honor. And special clothing was made for Aaron's sons to be priests as well. Verse two says, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother for glory and for beauty. Let's just read a little bit of this. In Exodus 28, let's start in verse nine. It says, then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone and others of their er, order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. So we start off with this ephod. It's a sleeveless garment or a vest. Uh, and this ephod bore the names of the tribes of Israel. Same thing's done again in verse 21, where there are 12 stones in the breastplate, the high priest, each one engraved with a name of one of the sons of Israel. And verse 29 says, the reason is that the high priest will carry the names of the sons of Israel on his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. So in one way, this would be a memorial for the high priest himself. It would remind him that he was a servant of the people. His duty was to intercede for the people, lead by 
a good example, teach the people what was right. Uh, it would help the high priest to keep focused on why he was there, what his purpose was. It would remind the priest of all of this. And too often priests got a big head because of their high position. They fell in love with their power. They uh, abused it, like Ananias, Caiaphas. At times, the, the priest abused their position in order to profit personally, like the sons of Eli. And you can see how God felt about that. He put them to death for these transgressions. So the breastplate was in part there to remind the priest of his job. He had these names to remind him what he was there for. Christians need the same reminders, right? There have been times in the history of the church where church leaders have fallen into those same traps of those evil priests, and they need reminded why they're here to serve the people. There's also a part of this that was a memorial for God himself. It was the high priest way of asking God, remember your people. And even though they're de deserving of judgment, it's a request for mercy. Another article of clothing mentioned here, the high priest also had a turban, according to verses 37 through 38, which symbolized the high priest bearing any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrated. That meant even the holy gifts of the people were defiled and needed a mediator. You know, imagine the high priest with the names of Israel on his shoulders and on his heart as he came into the presence of God carrying the people's guilt that they might be accepted before the Lord, like it says in chapter 28, verse 38. That's what intercession looks like. Verse 36 says that the high priest would have a gold plate that was engraved holiness to the Lord, covering the sin of the people. That's what the priest would wear into the holy place when he drew near to God. And isn't that what Jesus does for us constantly? He makes constant intercession for us in the presence of God. Hebrews 7.25 says we need to have this picture in our hearts when we think about Jesus as our high priest. It says, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I, I love that verse. It's like it's Jesus' reason to exist to make intercession for us. And it is. That's why he went to the cross and rose from the grave. Jesus brings our name into the presence of God all day, every day, and he covers our guilt with holiness so our gifts can be accepted before the Lord. And that's the shadow that's cast in Exodus. The priesthood would be set apart in this special clothing to symbolize all of this for Israel. Then, as we move on into uh, chapter 29, it's quite a jump. Chapter 28 is all about the beauty and precision of the priest's garments. Chapter 29 is raw and ugly. Exodus 29.10 says they bring a bull into the tent, lay their hands on its head, then kill the bull. The blood is then put on the horns of the altar, and the blood is poured at the base of the altar. Then various parts of the bull are burned on the altar. Next, a ram is brought into the tent, and the priests lay their hands on it and then kill it. Exodus 29.15. Then it says the blood was thrown against the sides of the altar. The ram was burned on the altar. Then another ram was brought into the tent, hands laid on it. And then that ram was killed, verse 19. Its blood was put on the tip of the right ear, the right thumb, the right toes, and the rest of the blood was thrown against the altar. Then the blood that was on the altar and the anointing oil were sprinkled on Aaron and his sons wearing those garments after all all the care that was put into crafting these uniforms 
It was only for them to be covered in blood. What's the message of that? First, blood is required for God to be with his people. The high priest must offer bloody sacrifices for God to be with his people. In fact, every day a bull needed to be offered, according to verse 36, and two lambs in verses 38 through 42 for atonement. These sacrifices that the high priest offered show us everything about Jesus and what his sacrifice means for us. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, Hebrews 9.12. Christ's blood is what makes it possible for us to be in communion with God, for God to meet us and speak to us and dwell with us. His blood was needed. Chapter 30 of Exodus returns to some instructions for the tabernacle to give the priests some tools that says in the tabernacle there needed to be an altar of incense for them uh, and that altar was placed in front of the curtain of the most holy place and the burning on the altar would create a, a cloud of smoke that would fill the most holy place and doesn't that mirror the experience on Mount Sinai looking backwards so the the tabernacle looked both forwards to Jesus and backwards to the re reception of the law so on Mount Sinai is the smoke would be like this cloud of the glory of the Lord. And every day this altar was to burn morning and evening, according to verses 7 and 8, putting smoke into the most holy place, symbolizing God's presence in that room. At verse 9, we see God specifically say not to offer unauthorized incense on it. That altar would be used only on the Day of Atonement when the high priest would go into the most holy place, make atonement with the blood of the sin offering, verse 10. Second, God institutes the collection of atonement money in Exodus 30 verses 11 through 16. You know, when a census was taken, um, then a half a shekel was taken from each person as a ransom price, which was given to the Lord. This atonement money, ransom money, would prevent a plague from striking the people um, for numbering them. Chapter 30 verse 12 says that. The point was, this was a redemption price, a payment made to make atonement for your lives, verse 15. The money was a reminder to the Israelites that atonement had been made for their lives. A price had to be paid for their life. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. In other words, Jesus is our ransom, our redemption. Pointing back here to Exodus and this atonement price. God has saved our lives through Jesus. We are worthy of death for our sins. We are in debt, but Jesus has redeemed us. Next, God gives instructions regarding a bronze basin, which was placed between the altar for sacrifices, the entrance of the tent. Aaron and his sons were to wash their hands and feet with water so that they would not die. Um, maybe a picture we're see, going to see in the New Testament as God's people need to be washed with water to live before the Lord. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So it's a way to remind the priests of their holiness. They have to wash themselves before they can come close to God. In fact, right after this, God reiterates the Sabbath command, the way God's people would stand out in the world as his. So all in all, Chapter 30 gives us some more tools for the priesthood. They, they would be marked by this special attire, this consecration with blood, these special tools. 
Then finally, we end this scene with Moses on the mountain. And it's just a single verse. When he made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. It's an incredible little verse. You know, the physical hand of God carved his word into stone. God gives to Moses the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone, and there's power in those tablets. That's what the New Testament says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, 1 Corinthians 1.18. That's about the gospel, but all of God's word has power. God's word, his message, is the power of God. It has the power to save. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. God's word has that kind of power. And God just handed it to Moses in two tablets of stone written by his own finger. With the law on these tablets, the priesthood was established to lead the nation to stay true to their covenant and close to their God. Peter wrote, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have. First Peter 2, 9 through 10. For the Israelites, the priest kept bringing the people back to God. In fact, when you get into the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you see that even after years of being away from the temple, they were still able to teach the Israelites how to return to right worship. But their efforts were only temporary. They didn't last because even the most righteous priest was still marred by sin. An even greater high priest would need to come, one that didn't offer the blood of bulls or goats, but his own perfect life as a sacrifice so that a new royal priesthood would be established, finally cleansed of sin. And that'll do it for this episode of Rooted Daily. I cannot wait to sit down and open up God's word with you next time. Thank you for watching this episode of Rooted Daily. We're praying that you're growing with us as we study the Bible and use God's word as our only foundation. If you appreciate this content, you want to make sure others see it, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app, hit the share button. Most importantly, if you're ready to take the next step, repent, be baptized, and hand over your life to Jesus, let's talk today. Just send me a text to 317-207-2734.